came to us. I mean. Hello and happy Monday. Welcome to a seat at the table with Tessa Rose. Pull up a chair and join me at the table. So this week's episode, again, we're going to give a shout out to our sponsors. If you are investing in yourself and have a business, show commitment so others will want to invest into you and your brand. You have the idea needed to execute the plan, but you need some help. Contact CH Consulting Services at www.chconsultingservicesllc.com. 
So we have to pay some bills with that. Shout out to our sponsors. So last week was a busy week for me, and I believe maybe for anyone else. So what happened last week that I jotted down that I wanted to talk about? At first, I wanted to um, just say that, you know, take some time for yourself. I usually pick Sundays to do my downtime. That's when I like to relax, and I like to do nothing, absolutely nothing, so I can prepare for the week ahead. So in life, if you are not, if you're busy, take some downtime, even if it's one day out of the week, one day out of the month, but take some time to yourself to rejuvenate, treat yourself. I um, This week, I went to buy me some coconut body cream from Trader Joe's. Oh, my goodness. It's the best, in my opinion. It's $5.99. You're not spending $20 and $30 for all the high-priced butter, body butter that everyone has. It's $5.99, and it goes on smooth. The smell is not you know, real pungent, it leaves your body smooth and soft, and, you know, I felt relaxed. So that's like treating myself, $5.99. And my birthday was last week, and thank you all to everyone that wished me a happy birthday who sent cash. I prefer cash, and, I, you know, a lot of people sent me cash and stuff of that nature, so I really appreciated that. And, again, I treated myself, as usual, if if people can't do what you want them to do, you know you do it for yourself, hopefully. So I treated myself to some Dom Perignon, and I really didn't drink the whole bottle. Usually I do, but I still have like a half a bottle left. And I love chocolate-covered strawberries. And shout-out to my brother who bought me some chocolate-covered strawberries. And I also love salted caramel apple bites. I get those from Edible Arrangements. So I treat myself even if other people don't treat me. So I had my little treats. I didn't want to do anything big. Of course, I didn't want to go out in this pandemic and this COVID situation. I have no desire to get out to the restaurants and do any of that right now. So I decided to get my Dom on, my chocolate to go with my champagne because I love champagne and chocolate. And I stayed home and I just looked at my cash app and, you know, the money was rolling in and I was on cloud nine. So that works for me. I did not need to go anywhere and have this big celebration that never was me even pre-COVID. Usually I would go travel, but I'm a little settled now. I have, you know, I don't need all that big extravagant stuff, especially during this COVID period. So I did have a nice birthday, but it was a busy and overwhelming week for me overall. So I'm glad that I got through the week. And again, I do have some leftover Dom on, so I might, you know, during the week, I might do a sip here and there, and then it'll be gone. And then I'm like, oh, I need another bottle. So I have to figure some ways how I can treat myself to another bottle. Or the Verve Clico. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. So I, that's one of my other favorite champagnes that's a little cheaper, and I like the rose. So sometimes I treat myself to those things. And I did have, again, for my birthday, I did have the seafood, seafood boil. Um, from rock and toss with the crab legs and the corn and the potatoes and stuff of that nature. So I had me a nice little birthday there. So, again, treat yourself, pamper yourself, whether it's your birthday or not. Um, I also went out because of all the stuff that was going on in the media with this Jackson cheating on his wife. He's like this relationship guru that sits in his cause and give women advice on relationships. And he's, from what I um I guess I see from social media, he's like pro-women um, instead of, the you know, the other relationship advice where women are coming down on 
men, I'm sorry, where men are coming down on women about, you know, what we, what you don't do in a relationship and why you don't have a man, X, Y, and Z. But Derek Jackson seems to be like on the women's side and telling women what they should not put up with from a man, I guess. I don't look at his videos. I haven't previously. I usually see him on my feed, but I scroll on past because I'm in a position of, yeah, you can have advice, but I don't get why people just take random advice from people on social media, sitting in their cars or sitting in their homes, giving off advice when nine times out of 10, they're not living their truth. Um, especially as grown people, I'm like, I'm raising a family and I'm, I'm worried about some people that take some advice from some of these social media gurus. And I'm like, they're raising a family. I feel for their family because you like letting outside forces dictate what goes on inside your house. And I'm never cool with none of that, but I'm just kind of different. I'm like, you know, in my household, stays in my household. And I don't really like people trampling across those lines in my household. So I'm really not listening to what they say out there in that social media world because it doesn't translate well to who who I am as a person. Um, so I don't get why certain people, and especially women at large, listen to some of these men, whether it's telling you good information or bad information. It's like you're at this point, we can get some advice, go to a therapist or something, find somebody in your circle that, you know, you're well-known, but just be taking this random advice and having them string you along. That's worrisome for me. <laughs> for some people, I'm like, I'm glad you're not my mom and raising me because I don't want you getting advice from outside influences and trying to bring that into the household. But from that scenario with the Dirk Jackson and the wife situation where they did the video and everybody was going in because she's wearing this bonnet and she's not looking, you know, presentable. There came out that his mistresses, one of his mistresses, mistresses, I can't even pronounce that right. She, uh, you know, you know, exposed him, but she also said something about a perfume that she wears. It's called Alien by Dairy Mulger, I believe. So, of course, I went out and bought it because I wanted to know if it smelled that good. So I treated my Tita Mistress perfume, and it actually smells good. It's supposed to be last long, and it is kind of expensive. I went to Alter to buy it, and it's actually, you know, very good. So I went out from there, and maybe Alien is flying off the shelves now because everybody's maybe going out and buying it. So I did treat myself to some nice perfume, and I tell you, that alien perfume and that coconut body butter from Trader Joe's, it does the trip trick. If you take a bath or shower right before bed, uh, you'll be on cloud nine, trust me. So those are some other treats. I really like uh, Good Girl. That's my one of my favorite perfumes. And, of course, Chanel number five. But Good Girl is my go-to perfume. But alien might be, you know, I might put that in rotation. So from that little situation with Dirk Jackson and his wife and all his side chicks, I went and bought the person <laughs> and all the stuff that's going on with him. So I also wanted to touch on the Uber and Lyft prices. So I'm someone that, you know, I don't take Uber and Lyft myself, but I will, you know, Uber and Lyft my sons or anybody else. I'm, you know, people will call me sometimes and ask me to take them somewhere. I'm more out put you in an Uber or a Lyft before I come out and take you anywhere. But I noticed the prices are way higher now. You know, people say because of the stimulus and X, Y, and Z, I kind of researched a little bit, and they said the dynamic pricing is competitive. But, you know, a five-minute ride will usually cost 6 or $7. Now they want $25 and $30. And I'm like, what is going on with Uber and Lyft? So essentially now when people call me, I'm like, I – I might have to come out myself and take you because I'm not paying 30 and $40 for that ride. 
So I was just wondering, like, what is going on with Uber and Lyft like they? And also with Uber Eats and DoorDash, their prices are gone up, too, especially for delivery. I think I tried to order something from Uber, and one vendor wanted $19.95 just to deliver the food. No way. I'll go pick it up myself or scratch it. I'll cook my own food. So, yeah, March, it's the end of March, so that's why I named this episode March Madness. A lot of madness going on. So um, the Cinnamon Toast Crunch, the you know, that Cinnamon Toast Crunch was trending last week because I should have written the, the husband's name down. But you know who the, who played Topanga as a, a little girl in that show? Um, and I don't even have the show written down. But her husband now found shrimp tails in a box of Cinnamon Toast Crunch. And it appears that someone, you know, it, the, the bag was tampered with because it was like a, some type of plastic tape across the bag, which is a red flag. And I gather they had like a family box. And if I'm if I'm for certain – the prior bag had some particles in it, so then they tried the other bag and found some shrimp tails in it. And so the husband, he contacted Cinnamon Toast Crunch on the social media and, you know, he uploaded a picture of the content. And so the social media manager specialist, you know, they posted on their Twitter page, you know, they'll do the investigation, which is correct. You know, I have a blog where I talk about protecting your, your brand um, and your image and how to respond to, you know, like a public crisis or when there's negative feedback about your product. So initially, you know, they posted they'll do some investigation. But I don't know how long that investigation was because then they posted back to the young man or, the, you know, the man saying that, it possibly the picture looks like lumps of sh- uh, lumps of sugar. So I examined the picture and I tried to see if it was sugar. Could be, and I'm like, no, those are shrimp tails. So I wonder who on your team, if your team was involved, decided looking at that picture that it was sugar. Like anyone on that team eats shrimp. <laughs> so maybe they don't eat it, so they don't know what shrimp tails look like. You know, it could be possible. But how did you get that that were clumps of sugar and then, you know, respond back, oh, you know what, after further investigation, that is not what you think it is. It's just lumps of, you know, sometimes we have lumps and clumps of sugar in our products. That's not what that is. That's clearly shrimp tails. Like, come on, unless I need glasses. Like maybe they're, again, maybe they're teens. It's not, you You know, don't eat shrimp. Maybe it's below them. <laughs> or they don't eat shrimp with the tail on it. <laughs> so they don't know. I have no idea what shrimp tails look like. So that was clearly like, like, come on. And even, the, you know, the guy, he was like, who is on your social media team? Because you obviously didn't do the proper investigation. I'm like, exactly. You responded too quickly, didn't do the proper investigation, and, you know, now it, it, it escalated because now you're an assaulted him and he's going back and forth and people on, you know, social media, public, they they can be so cruel. Like, why are you so invested in this? Are you trying to come up? Are you trying to get fame? So, yeah, that that there was just, I was like, uh-uh, they need to contact our sponsors at CH Consulting Services and, you know, get some help on protecting your brand. Maybe get you another social media team and manager or add someone to that team because that situation, you did not handle that situation correctly at all. So, yeah, that was something, you know, every week someone, as we see, is in the limelight for for a multitude of things. Um, I'm just going to briefly touch on 
the Joe Button podcast. I don't watch it, so. But, I, you know, Joe Button podcast, he has his own kind of network. He left Spotify, stuff of that nature. nature. So his co-hosts, Rory and Maul, they are like on a, you know, they have, you know, stepped down in a sense from the podcast. There's some internal issues. And so now Joe on his podcast, he has like two fill-ins right now until I guess the issues get resolved, if so. And, um, again, I don't watch it because, you know, it doesn't, pique my interest um, of the things and topics that he talk about, but I am aware of, you know, his podcast and, you know, his journey of trying to break from, you know, the bigger brands and, you know, basically getting messed over as far as money-wise. So hopefully, hopefully, you know, they can resolve those issues and get back because a lot of people seem to enjoy the content. They also enjoy the co-hosts, but Hopefully Joe Button, you know, get that together because he is trying to start something on his own in the podcast world. So we're going to go back to the situation with him being exposed for, you know, giving out advice and practically bashing men for cheating on women when he's the, that 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 man. He's not the perfect man. He, you know, try try to display to women. He's that cheating man, and he's cheating on his wife. And some people said they didn't even know he had a wife. Like, he didn't really show her on his social media at all. You know, most of the time he's sitting in his car, and it's coming out, car, <laughs> it's coming out that one of the side chicks says that that is her house in the background. Like, he's sitting in the car, and you know, giving this advice to women, and he's at his side chick house, either coming from the house or going to the house. So, it, you know, it blew up, and he has this book out that he's trying to sell, and he's trying to save face in a sense, trying to save his image, trying to save his career. And um, my book recommendation for this episode, you know, based off of what's going on with the relationship issues, especially among, the, you know, the black community, is the book is called is Marriage for White People? And it's, you know, the subtitle is How the African-American Marriage Decline Affects Everyone. And that book is written by Ralph Richard Banks. So this book confronts some uncomfortable truths about relationships between black men and women. So he, the book, the author talks about such things such as African-Americans are the most unmarried people in the nation. We marry less and divorce more. We have fewer enduring and committed relationships than any other group. So it tackles some things, you know, he has his statistics that he does and stuff like that. It also talks about African-Americans having less satisfying marriages than other groups do. And according to some studies listed in the book, marriage does not boost the well-being of African-Americans as it does for other groups. And one explanation is that African-Americans more often find themselves in dysfunctional marriages. Some research suggests that black children raised in a two-parent family do not fare substantially better than black children raised in a single-parent family. And the premise here is functional marriages benefit children and high-conflict marriages do not. And so in black marriages that are high conflict, neither the adults nor the children are well served. So that's an interesting point. Also, what happens in a black community is not a total isolated incident. The incidents eventually over time start to show up in other non-black groups or communities, and the impact affects everyone. So everything, you know, that happens within, you know, the black community 
um, single motherhood, you know, the incarceration rates. You know, it's not an isolated issue with, within our community, even though we're impacted the most, but it kind of, you know, trivial out to other communities and they start to see some of the same things happening there. Um, so one might expect marriage to be more stable and widespread among African-Americans because they are highly religious. The author talks about this in the book, that African-Americans are more likely than other Americans to, to describe religion as very important in their lives and to pray daily and to attend church weekly all characteristics that tend to bolster marriage. Yet the centrality of religion in the lives of African Americans seem to not have buffered the black marriage decline. So there's a lot of interesting points that I read in the book that I think that, you know, could shed some lights into the problems and hopefully some resolutions on making black women and men relationships stronger and more, you know, more commitment-wise. And also the author talks about black women confront a tighter relationship market market than any other group of women because there are too few black men for them to marry. And, you know, this is referred to as the man shortage. And there's three major contributions to the man shortage, the incarceration rate of black men, interracial marriages, and the economic status for many black men have worsened while those for women have improved. And the author, you know, goes d deeper into each of those topics and subjects and explain why based on his research and stuff of that nature. Also, there's the problem of black women. We, you know, they do not date out of their race. Um, we're considered race loyal. And studies on dating apps show we are less favored. So in a sense, we're segregated in a dating world, or you know, especially on the dating apps. And it's, that term is referred to as we are romantically segregated. And Asian men share the same status among men on dating apps. Um, they found that, you know, in the studies that black women and Asian men are like at the low bottom tier um, for, you know, most favored and stuff of that nature on dating apps. So there are some things black men and women need to work on to repair relationships with one another that will benefit us all, adults and children. The author talks about a lot of these um, points in the book. And we have to learn to have more positive relationships more, you know, than toxic. You know, the media and movies more than likely portray the dysfunctional family relationship status. And the author talks about how the media depicts this in movies that shape a public image or stereotype for how black families function. He also talks about how Tyler Perry movies gear, you know, gear towards black women to have us settle down and lower our standards as that's one of the problems of why we don't, you know, have a man is that we have too high standards. And if we just lower our standards and settle for the good guy, even if he has a sketchy background and just come out of prison that we will find, you know, the love that we're looking for. So the author talks about that, and I like that he highlights some of those things. And sometimes, you know, with some of that advice, that is to our own detriment that we follow some of these societal standards for dating and because, you know, our pool of men is so limited. And as we find out even in some of the stories, even in the reality stories, that that usually also doesn't work out for us. And even if you are married as a black woman, you know, you get that man and you get that marriage, it's, you know, the author highlights, it's not that blissful. Marriage takes work. There are ups and downs and maybe, you know, in a sense, more downs and ups depending on who you are married to or any relationship with. So some hard truths for some people 
figure out that you're not compatible with someone. And I, my rule of thumb is, like, some people should not even have had access to you in the first place. So along your journey in life with some people, you know, you were supposed to step, stop, but not stay, you know. I got that from um, the pastor at my church. He said, along the journey, you know, with some people in our lives and relationships, we were supposed to stop, but you were not, you were not supposed to stay. So there's some other lessons that you can learn out there. So, um, you know, some people, they're so, in a sense, desperate and think that, you know, a relationship and marriage is the end-all, be-all. But as we see all this evidence, it's not. <laughs> Even when you get it, some people get into these situations, it's, it's Hectic and more dysfunctional and toxic. So, um, you know, I just say stop romanticizing struggle and toxic situation. And some of these, you know, relationship gurus, these overnight people that make money off of, you know, women telling them advice, poor or good advice. Um, in a sense, is it working? Is this advice, is it overall working? And if it's working, good. If it's not, move on and find you someone else to be a mentor or, you know, turn to a therapist or someone else that has better sense to give you better relationship advice. <laughs> I'm all over the place. So um, the next thing I wanted to talk about is, you know, social upward mobility or social mobility. I looked at the uh, Netflix um, documentary on a college admission scandal is called Operation Varsity Blues, and that was like sort of interesting. It's just about an hour or so, and it's about this guy Rick Singer who made up like this side door deal to get you know wealthy families in a sense get their children into these Ivy League colleges because in that world you know you would think that your children have. You know, you're wealthy. Your children really don't have to go to college. They really don't have to because, you know, you have that wealth and possibly passing it down. But these people are steadfast on getting their children into these Ivy League networks and these schools, and they're paying $12 million and $50 million, all this money to get them into the schools where they can't get in through the front door, which is the natural way based on your grades and stuff of that nature. And then there's like a what? Uh, backdoor where, you know, again, you know, with Harvard and Yale and those legacy schools where you hear about the, the families paying and donating money to help get their children in school. So this guy, Rick Singer, he decides to do a side door deal. And this, and he has like an athletic background. So he networked with some of the coaches on at some of these schools and you know he would tailor your child's application to make it, you know, where you did some type of sports, um, participated in some sports activities. A lot of these children haven't um, played sports a day in their life. Like, for instance, like one child, they put, put him or her on a sailing team. That person ain't know nothing about a boat or sailing, you know, but he had these connections with, with the coaches and counselors and some people at these colleges and was able, you know, he started his own foundation, and the parents would, in a sense, donate money to his foundation, and then he would work, you know, and get their children into these schools, you know, Harvard, Yale, UCLA, et cetera. And um, they, he even started where, you know, a lot of the children didn't do well on the SATs, and he had someone that would fly out to, say, California, take the SAT for the child and stuff of that nature. So he had this whole thing going on. But the craziest part is he got caught up. I think someone else got in trouble and snitched on the whole operation, which usually happens. And when the FBI contacted Rick Singer, you know, he decided to, you know, 
you know, expose everyone else involved, the parents involved. So he would do these calls to the parents and talk to them on the phone about everything. And it was like maybe one or two parents that was kind of skeptical, but by this time you're already in the fire. And, you know, one parent would say, oh, you sure this can't get exposed? You sure this won't get out? And he's like, nah, you know, it's good. Only way anyone would know if you tell. But the whole thing, <laughs> when I'm looking at it, the way they're talking on the phone, it was just too much. It was like, why are you exposing all this, like every detail on the phone, which is a red flag for me. Like you're, you're talking too much. And probably before he was under investigation, I'm not sure because we probably don't have those tapes, whether he was this detailed on the phone. But now it was like, it seemed like he was just going hard and he would call the parents and he would you know, would ask them certain questions and would say, well, we did this right, and we got her in, and we put her on that team, and, you know, and the parents like, yes, and this, that, and the other, like, oblivious to most of them, and I'm just like, you you talk too much, like, but even in a sense, even if he came to see you personally, you're exposed because they wired, the FBI wired him when he came to your home, so you were caught anyway, and he'll come to the house and, you know, we'll have sort of the same conversation as he would have on the phone and just exposing everything. And it, to me, it's just like, okay, I'm already caught up, but not incriminate myself no more. Like, I'm not talking to you anymore. Like, go away. And one guy, he tried his best. He's like, I'm not in it. I don't know what you're talking about. Hey, we didn't do that. And he was trying his best to, you know, save face, but he was all already implicated. And as we all know, a lot of these parents, they really got like a slap on the hand. They probably got like four moms or two moms or, you know, just probation. They really didn't get the whammer that most people were exp- you wanted them to have. They really got off easy um, in a sense. And Rick Singer, um, since the documentary, he hasn't been sentenced yet um, until they get everyone that was involved um, sentenced, and then he'll get his sentence. So you have to see, you know, for him for him cooperating in a sense, what, what will be his fate? You know, will he just be able just to stay home on home monitor and put out, you know, pay a fine? But it is a good documentary. If you didn't, you know, see it, then, you know, that's surely something on Netflix that caught my attention. Usually when I watch something on Netflix, it really doesn't grab my attention and I just let it pass. Like, uh, what's another popular show now? Who Killed Sarah? So, you know, that's kind of a popular show now, and I can't get into it. It's like point. It like Every time I turn around, it's a scene. And I'm like, is this like soft point? Oh, reminds me of one of those Lifetime movies. So I cut it off, and then I think uh, Deadly Intentions or Deadly Illusions, that's something else that didn't grab my attention. So, but those are some of the things, but definitely the college scandal on Netflix was something that caught my eye. And I thought I would talk about it here because you, you see the point of some people going that extra mile to try to get their children into those circles, into those networks, and you just be wondering, like, why? You know, and it has to be Ivy League. And some of the commentators on the documentaries, like, you can go to any and get a decent education at almost any college across America, and it doesn't have to necessarily be the Ivy League, but, you know, society put this idea that the Ivy League is where it's at, and then you figure, you find out that some of these children, some of these wealthy um, parents' children, they're not as bright 
as you know, you would lead to be, um, we are led to believe, like they struggled with passing in high school and struggled on the SAT, and they struggled as far as sports, and they had learning disabilities. And so their parents did that extra push so they can, within that society, you know, within that realm of that social economic status, that they can be in those circles and, I guess, bragging rights that your your children go here and got into this school and stuff of that nature, you know, at the country club. And Rick Singer was even at the country clubs, you know, doing this presentation uh, to the parents of how he can help their kids get into these schools and the donations. It reminded me of the um, <laughs> some timeshare presentations. Oh, my goodness. Those things, one of the things I'm glad I never got into, I never got it. Even though it was great perks, my uncle has a timeshare, and, you know, we would travel. But I just never got the gift of it. First of all, when you talk too much, again, you know, the presentations you're in there, they have you in there for about almost three to four hours, and they do this long presentation, and, you know, that salesperson is going hard. And I'm like, first of all, it never made sense to me because it's really not your property. And then sometimes, you know, it evolved over times where you had that one week and you would go that one week every year. I was like, when I want to go somewhere, I want to get up and go. I don't want to have to wait that one week every year, but then some of them evolved where you can go when you want, if it was available. But, the paying the maintenance fee every month, and I don't know how much it is, but if you're paying upwards between $200 and $400 a month for something that you really don't own, it just was like a big old Ponzi scheme, even though it may be legal. I just never got that. So I would, you know, I would make the salespeople mad when I would go. We would go like to Vegas, and, you know, once you check in, it's like, oh, if you go to this presentation, you can get like a $200 gift card or dinner for two, et cetera. And I'm like, oh, okay. But I didn't know on my vacation you was hijacking my damn time by holding me hostage in this four-hour presentation. So I'm sitting there, I'm listening to the PowerPoint, and God knows I hate for someone to have a PowerPoint presentation and read every word on the PowerPoint. My professor said you're not supposed to do that. So already I'm annoyed. And then, you know, they feed you a great breakfast. So I was like, that's good. You fed me. My professor said, if you're holding somebody in a, in a meeting that long, you should feed them. So I'm getting your check mark on that. But the whole presentation is, like, going, on my, going over my head because I'm like, I'm not that easy to be swayed, especially when it comes to my money, whether I have it or not. I'm not parting with my money that like that easy and giving it to someone else. So, you know, after the presentation, they sign you up with someone, and they walk you around to the different little properties and say, oh, that's what you can get, and you have family, and you can pass it down to your children. That is not what I thought about when I think of generational wealth, passing some stupid timeshare down that you can barely sell. And it's not even worth anything to you. <laughs> I know this, right? And they'll, you know, they, oh, wouldn't you like to go here? And then, yeah, I would, but not, you know, sometimes with them timeshares, <laughs> I remember if you wanted to be in a central part of somewhere, I, one time I wanted to book one and I wanted to go to Paris and they was like, oh, we have like this other component. And it was like, Oh, it was all the way in somewhere else. It was far away from where I wanted to be in Paris. Like, why would I go all the way there? I want to like, be, like, right there where the Eiffel Tower is, like, somewhere where I look out my window. I'm looking up at the Eiffel Tower, not a million miles away. <laughs> and I got to take a train, swim across the bridge to get, the, get to the Eiffel Tower. So I'm like, no. You know, and some of their, you know, resorts will be far off the main the main course, and they'll tell you, well, that's the benefit. No, I want to be in the center of tension, right? So, um, 
you know, they'll, you know, again, they'll walk you around and ask this and that. And while you're walking around before you leave, they want you to sign, like, put your Social Security number. They're going to run your credit and see if you qualify. And I told them no, and they were mad. <laughs> you're not running a damn thing. <laughs> I ain't put my Social Security number down there, whether I can afford it or not. You won't be, well, why are you doing this? And we'll have, no, you're not. I'm going to disrupt your system. So, you know, they mad about that. I'm like, when I come back, I think about it. <laughs> so we going around. It was like, oh, this is nice. This is nice. And, uh, you know, so after they finish walking around with that crap, and then you get down to here comes the headache. And mind you, I'm in Vegas. I'm on vacation. I don't want you to be talk, trying to sell me nothing while I'm in Vegas having, the, you know, the time of my life interrupting my day. But anyway, you know, for the $200, that's what you go through. So, you know, just sit down and they trying to sell it hard. You know, well, this is what you, you know, this is a package we came up with. And do you like this? And I'm, no, where's the $200? <laughs> where's my gift card? And, oh, we'll give you that. I said, well, you said it was no pressure. When I checked in, you said it was no pressure. No, I want no parts of this. I don't care what any of this is and what this is and how much my payments will be because I'm not paying that a month for no damn timeshare. I, I don't do that with my money. I work very smart for my money, and this is the dumbest idea ever, but I'm having fun on my uncle's timeshare. <laughs> and then I really made them mad because they were asking, well, when are you going on vacation? I said, I asked my uncle. He does it. <laughs> I use his timeshare for free, and they were mad. <laughs> I didn't pay a dime coming out here, except, okay, let me take it back. I paid for my flight, but I didn't have to pay for my room, and that's when I want to go on vacation. I contact my uncle, and he will book it no matter where I want to go, and I don't have to pay for the room. I just pay for the flight. <laughs> so why would I commit to a package with a timeshare myself and pay whatever you charge these people maintenance fees. No, thank you. This is the dumbest idea ever, but it's smart for whoever, you know, thought of it is rich. <laughs> so, you know, I want my $200. You know, I keep saying, I just want the um, gift card. So then they send in somebody else, I guess a manager, maybe they can talk. You know, you can't talk me to a, where is my card? And then you sure. And what's the, and why is that? At this point, you cannot talk me. Ma'am, I'm on vacation. I'm in Vegas. Why are you holding me hostage? Let me out of here. Give me my money. Give me that card. So they finally, after all this time, give me the card, and they're heated. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, next time I come to Vegas, I think about if I will do it again. Because, you know, they ask you all the time, like, oh, do I want to have my time hostage and do I really want to make these people mad and do I really want to have a headache afterwards but it's so funny because they'd be so mad they'd be trying hard to sell you know well you take think about it you can pass it on to your children I don't want to pass this on to my damn children I want to pass on some actual wealth you know some stocks some bond, a real portfolio not this stupid ass timeshare pass it down to my children they in debt for paying for this crap you can't sell it to nobody they the hardest things to sell now tell you oh, you can sell it no you can't you know, don't nobody want that crap <laughs> like, get rid of this whole thing this is for people yeah if you travel a lot it may be beneficial well come on if I want to travel I would just say, I don't travel that much where I need a damn timeshare and I need you charging me every month. No, it does. It, one plus one, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> so I will make them mad. So that reminded me of this guy at the country club talking to these wealthy people about this side door deal to get their children into college. And, you know, they paying $12 million and $1.2 million a child to get, get these children to these Ivy League schools. So I'm like, once people start talking, you know, that sales pitch, 
I'm, my mind has gone to another part of the land. I'm not even paying you attention anymore. You cannot talk me to anything. Just like the people that, you know, come knocking on your door trying to sell you. Why are you at my door trying to sell me something? You can't sell me that. I don't want it. Don't bother me at my home. So I'm glad my neighborhood has no solicitation. Don't come around here knocking on the door talking about you want to sell some magazine or you want to sell this and that and other. I don't want it. If you want me to send it in the mail like, or send me an email because you know I'm going to ignore it, just like I'm going to ignore you at this door. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that, that whole college scandal thing, that guy, Rick Singer, he had the gift of gab and he was making that money and he was, you know, getting these people's children where they want to. But it all came crumbling down because there's always a person that end up in trouble and, you know, the whole operation tells on everyone. And now everybody's, you know, at the whim and it's exposed and their reputation is at stake and they're so embarrassed. And ah, poor, poor wealthy people, I tell you. I remember I had dreams of going to an Ivy League school. Is New York University an Ivy League school? I guess it was. Like back in my younger days, I wanted to go to New York University and I wanted to live on Park Avenue. You know that building that they don't let minority people live? Is it? 940 Park Avenue or 740 Park Avenue, which whichever way they don't, they have their little co-op and no minorities. No matter how much money, you can be a super-duper-duper trillionaire, billionaire. Your ass can't get there. You can't live there. <laughs> like, what y'all got in here? Some of those apartments, they are, you know, they old and dusty. Like, I've been looking at some of the um, – one of them is on sale now, I think, for like $25 million or $32 million. And if you look at the pictures, they remind you like the old days, like the old Hollywood days. But, yeah, I had my dreams of I'm going to New York University. I'm going to major like in public policy, work for a Fortune 500 company, quit there and start my own nonprofit company in public policy and live on Park Avenue. Yeah, <laughs> so I had my – maybe where was Rick Singer so he can get me in the door, and I don't have millions of dollars, but she was going to get me through there. So we all – not take that back, we may not all, but, yeah, some of us, we have some of those dreams, but I'm going to still work on Park Avenue. Uh, I guess I can I marry myself onto Park Avenue? Huh? I don't know about that, but, hey, you never know. <laughs> but Park Avenue is like my – the dream home, the penthouse was three or four levels. Like I always say – I, a home is nice, but just take my home and put in laid out penthouse style, floor to floor, like those ones on um, Park Avenue. But um, but yeah, I'm, it was interesting with that college scandal documentary. It is good, and those poor people. And then I get again, again, I shouldn't say those poor people. I, they should have known better. You know, could have did something else. Your children didn't need to it can get in those circles another way pay more attention to your children in school so they can get the grades and put and make sure they on the sports team so they can get in through the front door but i don't know what was wrong with the back door i think the back door he was saying you really wasn't guaranteed you can donate a lot of money but try the back door because that's still donating in a sense the side door deal and the back door deal is kind of similar but i guess the side door kind of got you in you were more guaranteed to get in because he had those connections with the people on the inside. So I I don't know, but people do the craziest things. So I think that is all I have for this episode. I just wanted to talk about the latest, the baffles in social media and last week. 
So I hope you all join me again. And next week's episode should come out on Sunday. I'm a little, I'm like a day late with this one because yesterday was my relaxed day and I really didn't feel like um, doing an episode yesterday. I just continue to relax. So remember, find you something, treat yourself to something, whether, you know, it could be free, a cup of coffee, you know, like that body butter. I do encourage you to go out, and it's not, I'm not being paid by Trader Joe's, I should, but go get you that body butter, and don't be paying that 30 or $40 for that body butter. Try that Trader Joe's body, coconut body butter, $5.99. It'll change your life. Find you some nice scented perfume. And again, I tried the Alien based off of that scandal with Dirt Jackson and his wife, and it does smell good. It is long-lasting, and you just treat yourself. See you next week. Join me at a seat at the table. Bye-bye.